Our text for today is Mark 10, 17 to 23. We're going to read the text first this morning, and then we'll pray together. The title for the message this morning is Evangelism, Do It Lovingly. Mark 10, beginning to read at verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words, his face fell, and he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, shall we pray? Lord Jesus, lover of our souls, we come now to the Bible. You and your love are at the center of the book. Teach us to love like you. For your sake we pray, amen. Evangelism, do it Lovingly. When we think of love, perhaps our minds go appropriately to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 13 says this Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Do you know why? Because one day faith will be sight. And on that same day, hope will be reality. But love, love will remain the same when we move from life on this earth to life in heaven forever. Love is the most important. Love is the key, of course, to all of our living, but especially I would submit this morning that love is the key to evangelizing, to telling lost people of how they need a Savior, how he loves them, has died in their places, and can give them the gifts of forgiveness in heaven by grace. Because if we do not present the way of salvation, the gospel, with love, then the person we speak to can feel like they are our project instead of a person who we want to love into Christ and into heaven. There's a truism that you may have heard. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and that's true. And this brings up an important point. The kind of love which we are to have when we are sharing God's love with lost people. 
There are two main types of love in the New Testament. There's phileo love, friendship love, and there's agape love, God's kind of love. Let me tell you the difference. Phileo love is, as I say, friendship love. It is conditional love. It is you do something nice for me, love, and I'll do something nice for you in response, love. It's you watch my kids this Friday night so I can go on a date with my husband, and next Friday night I'll watch your kids for you so you can go on a date with your husband. That is phileo love. That is not the kind of love we are called to love with when we come to our spouses, our children, our neighbors, people we will meet who need Christ for salvation. We are not called to phileo love. Rather, we are called to agape love. We are called to God's kind of love. Agape love, to define it, is figuring out the deepest need in the one who is loved and then sacrificing to meet that need without cost, without concern, rather, for the cost or the payback. Let me say that again. Agape love is figuring out the deepest need in the one that you love and then personally sacrificing to meet that need without being concerned for the cost to you or if they ever would pay you back. It's unconditional. It's supernatural. It's God's kind of love, the kind of love that we've been loved with, we are called to love others with. This morning in the context of sharing the gospel. And so we are to share our faith with God's kind of love. Of course, John 3.16, for God so loved, the word is agape, the world that he gave, that is he sacrificed to meet our greatest need at great cost, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's our biggest need being met but have eternal life. And so it is this agape love, God's kind of love, that we are called to give. Now, we're called to give this kind of agape love to our spouses if we're married, to our children if we have children, to our grandchildren if we have grandchildren, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me just interject. When Brother Errol was talking about the car that needed attention, one of my greatest nightmares is that I'm preaching God's word like I am now when they call my license plate number as needing some attention. <laughs> but Errol conducted that in a loving way, in a great way, and I commend him on that. So please turn your Bibles, or if you haven't already, to Mark chapter 10, where we see the Lord Jesus encountering a very interesting young man and the Lord Jesus sharing the truth with him that he wasn't receptive to receiving, and yet Jesus agaped him. Jesus discerned the greatest need in this affluent young man, was willing to meet it. The young man was not willing to receive that gift because he was not willing to get rid of his stuff, but Jesus nonetheless loved him. Mark 10 again at verse 17, and as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Here was a young man, affluent, wealthy, coming to Jesus with respect. He knelt before Jesus, asking Jesus the right question, how can I be right with God? How can I inherit eternal life? Sounds good. He had lots of money, and he was smart. He had a bright future. He was upwardly mobile. It all sounded good. He asked Jesus the right question, how can I be right with God? The Savior referenced some Old Testament law commandments with the man. Jesus called this young, wealthy guy to six of the ten commandments. Jesus, in so doing, was taking a sampling of the Ten Commandments, taking six of them, putting those out before the man, saying, God requires this of you in part. And Jesus did that to help this young man who was on top of his world to see that he had broken God's law and was in desperate need of a Savior, desperate need of the one who he knelt before and named Jesus. Look at verse 20. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Imagine. This young man contended and made the point and stated that he believed that he had kept all of God's commandments up until that point in his young adult life. Wow. Wow would have been really something, sinless perfection. This young man's answer revealed at best he was naive, and at worst he was deluded. But either way, he was 100% wrong. He, like all of us here today, he was a sinner. He had broken God's law, whether he admitted it, or whether he understood that or not. And we all break God's law because the scriptures say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so despite the young man's self-righteous response due either to naivete or delusion, and despite his wrong answer concerning himself and keeping the law, Jesus loved him. Verse 20. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Verse 21, and looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. Jesus felt a love for him. Loved him enough to tell him what was required. Loved him enough that like a spiritual doctor, Jesus put his finger on what was keeping this rich, affluent, upwardly mobile, full of potential businessmen from having peace with God, standing in heaven, forgiveness of sin. Jesus was the great physician who put his finger right on the young man's problem because Jesus loved him. Verse 21, to go on, one thing, Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come 
and follow me. When it says in verse 21 that Jesus loved the rich young ruler, it was not phileo, the word that was used. It wasn't, I have a friendship love for you. I think you're all right. No, no. Jesus, it says in verse 21 in the original, agaped this self-righteous young man. Jesus was willing to give sacrificially to meet that young man's sin need without concern for the cost to himself or concern that the rich young ruler could ever repay Christ. And that's how we must share the gospel with people that we meet. Verse 21 is a beautiful verse, and it's going to be followed shortly after by a verse that's one of the most sad verses in the Bible. But verse 21, and looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus, you see, as the perfect, omniscient son of God, knew exactly what the young man's problem was. His faith, his confidence, his trust was in his balance sheet and his assets and his titles to property. And so that was keeping him from transferring his trust to Jesus Christ alone to follow Christ in obedience. Jesus loved the young man. Jesus clearly interacted with him such that the young man, after the interaction could not say with accuracy, he just treated me like a project. He just looked at me in scorn as a notch in his belt. Man couldn't say that because in the eyes of Christ, as they looked into his young face, his confident face, the young man saw love. God's love. We must not look, church, at people without the Savior somehow as our project to finish. They are people to love. They are people to love with Jesus' love. Verse 22 is the sad verse. I think one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Verse 22, after the interchange... After Jesus, as spiritual lover of the affluent young man's soul, put his finger on what was needed, verse 22, but at these words, his face fell, and he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. It is not a sin to be rich. It is not a sin to own much property, but Wealth can often make it more difficult to trust Jesus and only Jesus to be made right with God. Jesus, of course, is and was the perfect gentleman. He forced himself not one little bit on this young fella. And verse 22 is so sad in part because an otherwise spiritually open, an otherwise intelligent and and uh, scripturally oriented young man who had great potential. 
decided to choose his status quo over Jesus, decided to choose his same old stuff over Jesus, decided to cling to his balance sheet and his property deeds over Jesus, decided to have money and real estate over Jesus. And that's why it's sad. Which makes the point this morning that money is a really good servant of God's, but it's a lousy master of God's people. And if you say, I'm not rich, really? No matter what house you came from, if you have a meal to eat, a bed to sleep in, clothes to wear, you are filthy rich compared to three quarters of the world's population. And money is a good servant, but it's a very lousy master. Verse 22 is also very sad because the young man decided for pseudo-saviors of money and what it could buy over the true savior that he looked at face to face, whose face of love looked right back into his face. Verse 22 is also incredibly sad because the young man wound up walking away from Jesus bound for hell as perhaps the most nice person ever to be damned. So sad. And the thing about it was that as he turned on his heel, unwilling to sell his stuff to trust Jesus alone and to follow Jesus in obedience, as he turned on his heel almost instantly, he felt shame and guilt. Verse 22, and at these words, his face fell and he went away grieved for he was one who owned much property. His face fell. He experienced instant shame. His face fell. His heart grieved. He felt guilt. But you know what? It's so sad. He could have turned around having those feelings. He could have turned around and walked back to this loving Savior and said, now I'm ready to make the right decision about you. But he didn't. But Jesus, make no mistake about it, loved this young man. Jesus wanted him to be saved, to be forgiven of his sins. Jesus wanted this young man to become one of his very followers. And Jesus interacted with this young man who was cocksure, who was self-righteous, who was naive, who was delusional, whatever he was. Jesus interacted with him with love. Evangelism, do it lovingly. As the man walked away from Jesus, we're not told how far away the man got from Jesus before Jesus in verse 23 looked around at men who had decided to trust him and to follow him, his disciples, small business owners who left their fishing businesses and had decided that Jesus was the most important decision they could make in their lives and they had followed him. We don't know how far down the road the rich young ruler was from Jesus, but at some point Jesus looked around at his men who did believe in him and who had left stuff to follow him. And in verse 23, And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. 
The first thing I'd like to see, it's very important. The word is hard, not impossible. How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus did not say how impossible it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. This is not a teaching on socialism or communism or against being wealthy. This is not what Jesus is teaching his men. He's saying that if you have affluence, material wealth, it becomes harder for you to follow me. But what I want us to see is that agape love is all over this true story. Agape love is God's kind of unconditional love, the kind of love that extends to you that you be saved, the kind of love that extends to you that you be sanctified, the kind of love that extends to you that you be glorified, the kind of love that we are obliged to extend to our mates and to our children, to our grandchildren and to our neighbors and to our colleagues at work and to the needy person on the street of Nassau. And what is agape love to review? Agape love is figuring out the greatest need in the one who is loved and then sacrificing to meet that need without concern for the cost or the payback. And it was agape love that was the motivation of Jesus' response to this young man. It was agape love that was Jesus' approach to this young man. And it was agape love which was Jesus' response to him and him being truth, being rejected by this man. Verse 23 again. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. There was a loving compassion in Jesus' comment to his disciples about the man who walked away. Jesus got it that the rich boy's struggle was real. Jesus had compassion on the man's inner battle between money and what it would buy and Jesus. Jesus pointed out to his disciples that having everything that money can buy can be a disadvantage when it comes to receiving forgiveness and heaven's grace gifts. What a loving Savior. We have no business being anything but loving when we share the gospel with a lost person. I want to give you a thought that someone gave to me. It's not original to me, but some years ago, a friend of mine said this to me. He said, you know, Rob, lost people are not your enemy. They are victims of the enemy. Lost people are not our enemies. They are victims of the enemy, Satan. This is precisely how Jesus on the cross, suffering and bleeding and dying for our sins, it's precisely how he could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus didn't see his executioners. Didn't, Jesus didn't see the rejecting Israel nation as his enemies. He saw them as pawns on the chessboard of the enemy. Lost people are not our enemies. They are victims of the enemy. You know, sometimes when I'm at the funeral home or at the end of a graveside committal, and the loved ones of the deceased are weeping. 
I would just come close and I would say, where there is much love, there are many tears. With lost people, is there much love in your heart to see them one to Christ? The simple answer is, if you cry for them. When was the last time we as a church cried for lost people? When was the last time I cried for lost people? You'll remember perhaps that Jesus, before he went to the cross for us, looked over the city of Jerusalem. And our Lord said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. There's no anger in that. There's love. That was Matthew 23, verse 37. And so as we wrap up this message that calls us to love as we share our faith with the lost, we would say, oh, will we notice the Savior's tender willingness? Will we notice the Savior's broken heart over those left in sin? Will you notice the Savior's unconditional love for people alienated from God by their sins? Will you notice the Savior's love for the arrogant and the violent and the rebel, the cocksure, the deluded? Will you notice the Savior's love for those who will reject him? Jesus knew the young man was going to turn on his heel and go back to his money, but before he did so, Jesus looked at him with love. Of course, we are commanded by Jesus to love people with his kind of love, and we're commanded to personally sacrifice so that lost people will come to trust Jesus as their Savior On another occasion, we read of it in Matthew 22, beginning at verse 36. A lawyer came to Jesus. Lawyers are good at asking the right questions. And one of these lawyers came to Jesus in verse 35 of Matthew 22, and the lawyer asked Jesus a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? By that point, there were over 613 commandments that the Jews had sprung board off the actual text and made their laws. Man-made laws. God's laws plus, 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 over 613 laws. And so this lawyer came to Jesus and said, which of the 613 is most important? And Jesus answered and said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus said, on these two commandments of loving God with agape love and loving other people with agape love, the whole Old Testament hangs on it. The law and the prophets is a way of saying the whole Old Testament. 
And so the lawyer again asked Jesus, what's the most important, the greatest commandment of all the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall agape the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall agape your neighbor as yourself. You know, we're pretty good at loving ourselves. When we see a group picture, the first person we look for in the picture is us. Selfies, man, that's epidemic. Now they even have sticks you can put your cell phone on so you get a better selfie. We're pretty good at loving ourselves. We sleep generally when we need to sleep. We eat generally when we need to eat. We take vacations often. We put together our own wardrobes to make us look as the best we possibly can be. We say no usually to what we need to say no to, and we even laugh at our own jokes. Generally speaking, we love ourselves pretty well. Jesus said, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Well, Jesus taught with the Good Samaritan story, your neighbor is anybody who crosses your path for any reason that has a need. That's your neighbor. Evangelism, do it lovingly. Ebola first broke out as a virus in 1976. But it wasn't heard of too much until 2014 when a vicious outbreak of Ebola virus struck in West Africa. As you probably remember, it's a highly infectious disease and it kills 90% of those who contract it. Dr. Kent Brantley, 33 years old, a born-again Christian, was serving those suffering with Ebola in West Africa when he caught Ebola himself. He caught Ebola because he took off his mask, he took off his gloves, he took off his apron. Why? Because a young woman in the clinic was incredibly distrustful of any medical help which he was going to try to give to the young woman's very sick mommy. And so the doctor risked getting Ebola in order to face-to-face -face reassure the daughter of a woman dying with Ebola that he only wanted to help her mother. He held the scared daughter's hand without a glove. As he looks back after he contracted Ebola, he looks back to that night in the clinic and he remembers that the daughter went to the restroom to assist her very sick mom who died by morning and probably that she didn't wash her hand. And when he held her hand to reassure her in her fear about treating her mother, he contracted the virus. Friends, it is only God's love that would cause a trained medical doctor to take off all his protection for a deadly virus to reassure a daughter who wasn't sure he would want to genuinely medically help her dying mommy. But you know what else is true? It is only God's love that'll push us, motivate us, empower us to lovingly share the gospel with people who have a virus that is deadly called sin. Pray with me.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this account that tells us your great love for sinners. And it calls us to love lost people with your love. We thank you we have learned today that your love is not a sentiment, it's not a feeling, it's a decision. A decision to discover the needs of the people we're loving. Help us to do that, Lord. The five people on our list we're praying for, help us to discover their specific needs. And your love not only discovers needs, it sacrifices to meet needs. Help us to be willing to sacrifice to meet the needs of the five people on our cards. And Lord, give us opportunity and boldness to share the gospel and to invite these precious people to trust Jesus. Because, Lord, we want to do evangelism lovingly. We pray this in your name together. Amen.